Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Dear Father God, we thank you for an opportunity just to gather together and have time of fellowship and study your word. Thank you, God, for just bringing us to this point where um, as we come to the end of this wonderful teaching, Father God, it's really improved our lives and just broadened our horizon just to understand that um, you, you really are concerned about our lives. So I pray, Father God, that as we continue this evening, that our hearts, minds, and our spirits will be open to hear your word, to understand and to comprehend, and that we can take whatever is learned or discussed tonight and implement it into our lives and the lives of others around us. Thank you, Lord, for Siobhan and for um, Stephen and for their teaching, and we pray that you would continue to bless them and fold them, Father God, with your Holy Spirit and with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of your word. And thank you, Father, that... When we come, we feel so refreshed. We have a new insight. We have things that we ponder about. And um, we are so grateful for this opportunity, Father. We ask us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I also just want to say again, I do want to say thank you again, because I think we, do, we underestimate, we shouldn't underestimate, I know how much sacrifice it takes for each of you to be here today. Um, the working world, the way it is today, leaves no energy or hours unspent. So I do understand those that have families, that have jobs, you know, loved ones, it's hard. You know, it's a sacrifice. So I, pr- I do know it's rewarding, nonetheless. To study the word together is always rewarding. So I just want to say thank you again from both Siobhan and my side. Yeah. So let's, let's turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, I'm going to read... The first portion, and then Siobhan will, will continue from there. So I'm going to read, I'm going to break it up into verse 1 to 3, in small pieces. And before I read, please note it's, it's a direct continuation of where we left off from Ephesians 5. We said he's, Paul spoke about the gospel story, and he now has zoomed into how practical it is. And he zoomed into... The way we explained what Siobhan and I were talking is he zoomed into the most intimate, deepest level and he started with marriage. And now he just takes one click zoom out. And he's going to talk about children and parents. Then he takes one click out. Then he talks about slaves and masters, right? And it's just, if you see it as that, it's, he's talking about the whole society and community. And he zoomed into the most intimate after talking about how we should be Christ-like in, in the marriage, you know, in parent, parental relationships and children, and then in slave and masters. Anyway, so we're continuing. Let me read verse 1 to 3. Children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and your mother. Is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it, namely, so you will live well and have a long life. So first question, who of us are children here? It applies to everybody. Okay, I don't think there's an expiration time when you're no longer a child, unfortunately. There are some times when you get older that you're, you have to parent your parents, but you're still a child. And that's probably a, a different, difficult transition. And you know what? It's, 
it says that it's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. And I think we mustn't underplay that. I think we, the, Jesus and our Heavenly Father never goes back on his word. So if he says, honor your mother and your father and it will go well with you and you'll have a long life, he means it. And I think we need to take that seriously. You know, and when people ask me advice, and it's got, always got to do with what the parents view versus what they want to do. I say, you know what? I can pray about it. I can read about it. But you know what? Everywhere I'm going to read in the Bible is going to say, parents, uh, children, obey and honor your mother and your father. So <laughs> if, I know even if your parents are going to give you advice, they might not be the most accurate or correct advice. I do know by honoring them, God will make a way for you. Obviously, when they contravene scripture, then, then there's going to be a bit of a challenge and you have to... You, we, like dad's given his testimony where his parents didn't enjoy that he was leaving the Greek Orthodox Church and he went into... Those are rare exceptions. But when I tell children when their parents want them to do X and they want to do Y, I was like, everywhere I read, it says to children, honor your mother and your father. It is that black and white. It's hard. The application is hard. It really is because it's a, a test of wills. Whose will are you willing to honor, your own or your father and your mother's? And I think it's an important lesson that we get there. So, you know, it's, and also, as a parent, it's not, only the, it's not only that our children must obey as parents, but it's our responsibility as parents, especially, and I'm talking to myself here, and I know I'm not there yet, not anywhere near, but as a parent, it's your responsibility to teach obedience to your children, Right? So it's easy to say children obey your, your mother and your father and it'll go well with you, but it's up to the mother and the father to teach the right way, to teach obedience, right? And it's the, the parent's responsibility, and that is one of the most important jobs of a parent. And you know yourself, you don't need to teach kids to disobey. <laughs> it just comes naturally in the sinful nature. You know, with the first lie they tell you, and if they're very good or bad at it, you, you will find out somehow. They didn't need to figure it out. It comes naturally to them, you know? And, but obedience, it needs to be taught and in a loving way. And like we said with the, the wife, in the husband and wife relationship, what he's saying here, what Paul is saying here is like, like really, did you have to write that down? It's been in our Bible since Exodus. Moses told us this. It came from the Heavenly Father. It's not revolutionary. Yeah, I, I would say that um, what's, what's really fascinating that we don't actually pay attention to is that there are children in the meeting. So this is being read to a congregation and there are kids in the meeting. Now, I don't know about you, but chapter 2 is very difficult to understand. <laughs> and Paul thinks it's okay that they know this from a very young age. Like, they're not less. They're not lesser Christians. They, they don't have to be spoon-fed in Paul's mind, it seems. It's leave them in the meeting, and they will learn, and they will pick up, and they will see this mystery that we are unfolding of God together with us. You know, So when he addresses kids, that's a, that's a big thing because the Scriptures don't really address kids when the, when the law speaks about uh, kids obeying uh, parents, that's, about, that's going into rabbinical school. That's, you are in a different section. 
and someone is telling you this is what you need to do. Right? Whereas in this environment, it seems like everyone is in the same room. Everyone is in the same room. And we're all hearing it at the same time. And that's, that, I think, in our, in our Western way of living and, and doing church, it, it really puts a new light on, on, I mean, as Sunday school teachers, or, it, it puts a new light on, well, maybe they can handle more than what we're giving them. Maybe they, they are able to handle the mystery of God. And, I mean, there's no coincidence Jesus is be like a child, <laughs> you know? So... Uh, that's something we overlook at times. We think, yeah, when I grow up or when, when they grow up, they will, they will learn. But I think the truth is Paul is saying they're learning already. They're picking it up already. They're seeing the way you do things already. And they are, they are, they are, they are absorbing it. And so get them into the, the flow of things as, as quickly as possible so that there's no resistance when they're older because right? that's what's going to happen if they hit a certain age and they're like, we've been doing it for so long in this way and now all of a sudden we must change the flow of the way and the rhythm in which we do things. That's, it's confusing, you know? That's, it's a very difficult thing. So I was just fascinated by a, a preacher we, were, we listened to just mention it and I was like, wow, that's powerful, you know? Because we, we live, I, I lived in an environment that kids were, were to be seen and not heard. Don't, don't ask me questions, really? don't talk. Don't, sheesh. I, I would prefer not to be seen and not heard. <laughs> so, so, uh, but I, I'm saying that, that it seems like Paul is inviting the kids into this experience with the grown-ups. You know, it's not mm. a us and them. It's addressed to the children yeah. directly. It's not like yeah, it's your directly parents, too, so make sure your children listen. Yeah, make sure your, children, your kids learn. It's like, no, yeah. kids, I know you're in the meeting. Yeah, and the, and the reminded when... Like at the Last Supper, do you know, I think it's position on Jesus' left yeah. was the common practice in Hebrew where the youngest member at that table would sit on the left of the most prominent figure at the table. There was one reason, that the youngest person learns from the most prominent figure from a young age. So I think what they are very keen to not, to not put someone down because of their age, but rather see it as an opportunity to invest in them as soon as possible. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. And clearly, Paul's talking directly to children here. Yeah. And, and that young figure was John, just in case yeah. no one knew. That, that young figure was John. And that's why he was shaped so easily into the image of Jesus. Because from a very young age, he didn't have bad habits he had to unlearn, or too many bad habits he had to unlearn. <laughs> he had some bad habits. Um, but, yeah. yeah. So, so, but you know, it doesn't stop at the children part. Yeah. Just like... Saying wives submit to your husbands is not revolutionary. Children obey your parents is not revolutionary. But just like he carries on and he will carry on, for the first time, he says, Fathers, verse 4, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Now that was revolutionary, right? To tell, guys, I don't know. you, You know how today age where children's rights are very... Uh, champion, which is understandably good in when it's been abused. But if you have to time travel back to those days, children, just like wives, were properties of the patriarchal figure. You know, 
if, if in Siobhan's day where children were supposed to be seen and not heard, can you imagine? They weren't even supposed to be seen or heard or even thought about. <laughs> right? So for, for Paul to say, fathers, you know, don't exasperate your children. I'm like, wow. So I've got two quotes here I want to read to you uh, that I got from Enduring Word. first one is from a guy called Wood. He says, the gospel introduced a fresh element into the parental responsibility by insisting that the feelings of the child must be taken into consideration. In a society where the father's authority, a patria potestas, that was, you know, in those days, the father's authority was absolute. This represented a revolutionary concept. So like we say, the, the patriarchal figure, his authority was absolute in those days. He owned, he literally owned his wife and his children. And I want you to understand that. Then another quote from Lloyd-Jones says this, when you are discipling a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? I read that and I'm like, oh me. Because I've had scenarios that probably like less than 24 hours where I have lost control of myself. Parenting, it, it will force you to face the mirror of your own ills and your own things that you need to work on. And that's, for me, where I get tumbled the most, where it's like having a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and they're not that naughty children, but they're still two-year-olds and four-year-olds, and you get frustrated with them, and you get angry. It's like, oh, why don't you want to do what I want you to do? And then you realize you're being just like them. You're throwing a tantrum, because they don't want you, you don't want, you, they're not doing what you want them to do, and they're throwing a tantrum because you're not doing what they want to do. So it's a house full of tantrums. <laughs> and for me, I'm speaking to myself reading this when I wrote this, I'm like, wow, I'm not really qualified to talk on this, but maybe the Lord is telling me first. So, you know, and, and when we listen to Tim Mackey, you don't have to say someone that you listen to, just say Tim Mackey from Bible Project. Okay? Tim Mackey from Bible Project. Right? He, he, they asked, I would have told him anyway. Yeah, don't, don't even, anyway. <laughs> He, he opened my mind up with that phrase versus his fathers don't exasperate your children. Yeah, he said, no, don't provoke them. It's, like, it's not just being mean to them when it's not necessary to be. But it's also stop being inconsistent in your discipline. Stop in one day saying, no, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. Otherwise, you're going to get hiding and then give them hiding. And then the next day, when they do do that, and you're exhausted and you've had a stressful day and you're tired and you're like, ah, whatever, let them do what they want. He said, that is exasperating and provoking your children because you're being inconsistent. And you're not showing them a measure of what, you, what obedience looks like because you're being inconsistent in the application of it. And you know, that spoke to me because I saw myself there. Yeah. So that's just a new way of looking at exasperating and provoking your children. I think for me, I'm so guilty of that. Um, and you know what? When I was preparing... It's meant to be hard. It's not meant to be easy because we're not meant to just try to be better parents or better people, better children for our own understanding or reasoning. It's, we need to allow the spirit to breathe that inspiration into us. If it was in our ability to do it, then how would we have invited God to help us in it? You know, He doesn't test us beyond what we can endure. That's because he's there, right there with us enduring. If he wasn't there, everything would have been beyond our endurance. And I believe this is like where I'm at this point is that it's not in my ability, in my own control, in my own, what, my own physical strength to do this, to be a godly parent. 
And that's the point. God needs to be involved in that discipline of my child. He needs to be there as a person to help me and say, adopt his ways and his characteristics and his ways of doing things. And that's, that's what I'm holding on to. Because if it was up to me, it's like when you dedicate your child, especially in this church, when, it, when a baby comes of a certain age and we want to dedicate, we say, Lord, we dedicate this child to you. you know, and, and you've given him back to us and we, we, we trust that you trusting us with this precious life to raise them in the right way. We've invited God into the parental relationship. And I think he needs to remain there. And we need to be consulting him because he's the parent of life. And for me, that's where I, I, I hold on to. is that, And what we'll discuss later is that we need to adopt Christ's character. And in parenting is a very pivotal one. Does anyone have comments on the parenting thing before we continue? Yeah. Where's the microphone? Don't shoot me down, huh? That's <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I, I just have a small comment. Okay. On the, where he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It reminds you of that scripture in Proverbs where he says, um, train up a child. In the way of the Lord. In the way of the Lord, and then when he grows, he will not depart from it. So it reminds you so much of that verse. Well, that's the verse that echoes in my mind when that when you, I read that, and and then that it reminded me of how when I heard I think it was a focus on the family when there was a man that was unpacking that scripture that it's not only talking about training up a child in the way he should go. It doesn't only refer to knowing God's ways, knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong, being obedient, you know, all the things you should stay the away from. It's not just that. It's mm. the parent's responsibility to to recognize what's in their child and then and train up and train them up to be their best self, to be the person that God made them to be, to recognize their character and their talents and you know, their purpose and to help them and to build into them things that will help them to be who God made them. Mm. And that's part of your responsibility as a parent. And so I love that that's God's heart. It's not just about being good or mm. being a good human. It's about being the best who he made you to be. And it's your responsibility responsibility as a parent to do that. And I think... Yeah, so it's a, it was a bit of a skip, skip, skip. But uh, yeah, you're, I was just reminding You're reminding me of a verse now that I sent you yesterday, so I better find it now. Uh, <coughs> mm. We're all familiar with 1 Corinthians 4, 15 to 16 about though you, you have many teachers but not many fathers. But again, I looked at the message. Okay, that's just who I am. <laughs> so verse 40 says, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold, just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing this as a father to you, my children. I love you and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are lots of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not... You know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. 
I just love uh, what Nicole was saying, is that Paul saw himself as a spiritual father to, to this church in Corinth. And he's, he's berating them and he's cautioning them. And he's like, listen, it's not about a popularity contest. But he says there, there's a lot of people around who can't wait just to tell you what you're doing wrong and what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. And I think that's the perfect picture of, of parenthood and what God wants us to do is it's you're helping this person grow in the Lord and in their own relationship with the Lord and discovering who the Lord is. And like Nicole said, what the Lord has given you to be the, the best version that he's wanted you to be. And I think that's, the, that's what, for me, what Paul's saying to the fathers here. It's like you're not there just to tell them what they can and cannot do and what they should and should not do. You're there to help them grow. And he's asking us to do it in love, just like Jesus. Because Jesus was the father of the disciples. You know, and for me, if you look at it, that relationship where, of course, he disciplined them when he asked them to do something and they didn't. Of course he did. But you also look at where, like, you know, the, the favorite moment I have when after his resurrection, he has a fish briar on the beach. He wants to spend time with his boys. You know, he longs for that companionship. And in that fish briar, he's building Peter up. He's, he's interested in the character of Peter and he calls him the rock and he sees this man is not that character right now. So he, he takes the time and the effort to build him back up because he cares for him. And yeah, I just think that's a good picture. Anyone else? You can talk again. You have to, we record it. <laughs> Megan will be very upset. Hey, Megan. the end when it says then they, won't, they will not depart from it because then they know who they are basically yeah, so, yeah. amen okay. and I don't say that because I know exactly what to do because I'm definitely don't but it's what I would like to aspire to that's yeah. the only reason why I'm saying thanks okay. anybody else thanks my version is the New King James Version, and what it says, children obey your parents in the Lord. Mm. And I like that context, in the Lord. Mm. It, it means that you're grounded. That's where your identity mm. is. But I also think that if you love your child, you will not allow your child just to run off wild with no boundaries, because where's love? Because you're teaching, teaching your child, child to self-harm. And if you love some, somebody and you care about them, you would try and go alongside them. Um, and I understand what Siobhan is saying about growing up, people should, children should be seen, not heard. I think the older generation, I remember as a child, my grandmother and my great-grandmother would, would say all kinds of things in terms of your voice. But I think that... Um, and what I like about what Paul is saying is that, you know, we have our own responsibility as a parent because it is, and you're talking about the dedication, it's a very serious thing because you have made a vow and you've taken under, made an undertaking and an agreement with the Lord that you will rear the child yeah. and that you're responsible for rearing, rearing the child in the correct way. And I think... Um, what you said is so spot on. I always tell people never discipline when you're in, your emotions are running rife because it comes out the wrong way. Whatever it is that you were intending to do, even if it's a 
from a position of love, it comes out the wrong way because your emotions take, take over. I always say, okay, calm down, then tackle the issue as to, and my parenting style has always been explaining to my children what they've done wrong and why they should not have done it. It's okay to say no, but explaining why you're saying no and the reasoning and your heart behind that endures more um, affection. And I think that's the whole thing about exacerbating your children or when you are admonishing them, if it's done in love. Mm. Um, I think God is like that with us as his children because mm. he corrects us. And when yeah. he does so, we, it's, a, it's from a position of love. He doesn't say no to us because he can't, just because it's no. There's a reason. There's, and once you understand that, you know, it's like... I'm imagining God say, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and then often it's down the line, you see, thank you, Lord, for, for, for cautioning me against that. Because you see in the bigger scheme, there was something better or that was not the way you were supposed to go. Yeah. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? We're happy to carry on to them. Probably just as difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, let's go on to verse 5. Okay, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would the Lord. Not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whoever does good knowing that whatever good is done by anyone, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he's free. So let's just get into the history of this quickly. Just, just quickly. So around about 50% of Rome were slaves. So half the population is slaves. I, I want to make a difference between the way we know slavery and the way they knew slavery. Um, because our modern, modern slavery, which is the United States and England, and the way they did it was because of someone's race. Someone was black, and so they were less than us, and now you're my slave. The Romans didn't think like that. Right? No matter what color your skin was, if we conquered you, you were our slave. Right? And then there was another part of the slave system, which was not a racial, none of it was racial. Another part of the slave system was if you got into debt, Right? You sell your kids into slavery, and you sell yourself into slavery. And in that way, that system there, you could buy your freedom back. So you work your, free, you, you work your way to freedom again. So it's that's, not... That's where the redemption story yeah, is so powerful, when yeah. Jesus brought us back from yeah. slavery. So I think when we, when we think about slavery, uh, we, 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 have to, we have to disassociate it from what we've known in the, in the, in the not-too-distant history that we have, because it wasn't the same thing. It was, as, it was bad, it was as bad, but it wasn't purely based on someone's ethnicity. You know, that's wicked. You know, the, the Roman slavery was wicked too, uh, but it didn't point someone out and say, because of your color, you are now my slave, right? So that was about dominance and force, and we conquered you, and so now you belong to us. It's about ownership. Ownership, right? So. When he says here, bond servants, obey your earthly masters, that's not a nine to five. 
That's a, you're someone else's property. In fact, most slave owners wouldn't even consider their slaves as human. They were less than human. That means if I was upset, I could kill you and have no repercussions. You're my property, I can do what I want with you. Right? So, I think Paul is introducing this idea because now people are getting saved and the message is, firstly, we have a different king. It's no longer Caesar. We're no longer under the government of Rome. And so... I'm free, I'm not a slave. I'm free. You know what I mean? I'm free, I'm I'm not a slave. Um, Whereas Paul is saying, hold up. (laughs) Just, just, Just before you run ahead of yourself, I need you to know that your mess got you into this situation sometimes because of the debt situation. But other than that, I don't want you to die because you're not showing Christ-likeness. So your best option here is to obey this master and not just obey them so that you could stay alive. It seems as if he's saying, I want you to care for this master. Right? Not with eye service, please, as a man pleaser. He's saying, give your heart to this thing. Serve him like you were serving Jesus. (coughs) And so he's flipping this thing on its head completely because most slaves would have probably thought, if they could buy their freedom, I can't wait to get out of you. But I I I know, I know, I I always try to bring it back to its original context because so in in our day and age, we see that as our nine to five work job. Whereas I promise you, we wouldn't want to be them. We just wouldn't want, we would rather take the nine to five. Yeah, I, I think the important part is don't dilute your situation to the context. Yeah, don't, don't dilute the scriptures to fit your... your but, but at the same time, take the scriptures and make it fit into, appropriate them to your situation. Yeah. So it has to be applicable. Reading this, he's not, okay, oh, master slaves don't exist anymore. So no, it's talk, not talking to me. No, he's talking to me, to you, much more than so, he was with these people because these people was a life and death situation. Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's powerful because the next portion of scripture goes, and I'll say this, it says this, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And that's powerful, you know why? Because it seems as if the masters and the slaves were sitting in the same room. Right? And most theologians would say that Paul is, he can't see a world without slavery. He can't, it's so normal, he can't mm. see a world without it. He doesn't necessarily see Christianity as the yeah. end of it. I would say Paul can't see slavery being broken down in his lifetime. So that's why he's giving him this wisdom. He's, I think in his mind, he's thinking, this will break one day. But if we revolt now, Christianity will be snuffed out before we realize it because the Roman government was quick because many slaves tried to rebel. And before they knew it, all of them were dead. Well, let me put it to you this way. It's like, maybe... This is the way he saw how slavery can break, is when you rob slavery of its power yes. by giving your will. So yes. there's not, the, it's not the, the right of the owner being forced on you where you now say, forget that. 
I willingly now. And you just, for me, I just think of Christ. Yeah, I, I think that's the, that's the powerful thing here. He's saying, you're, it's weird, he's saying to the, to the slave, you're not this man's slave. You're the slave of another master. And his name is Jesus, and he's awesome. And the way in which you serve him is by serving the man in front of you. And then he turns around and he tells the master, the man in front of you is not your slave. In fact, you are the slave of a master. Right? And I need you to love him the way Jesus loves you. And so he's literally breaking the system. It's taking its power away. It's very, very subtle. Right? And it's powerful because he's making the slave love the master and he's making the master love the slave. And he's making them equals before the Lord but without taking away their responsibility toward one another. You see, today in this world, we're looking for equality without love. We want to be called equal and treated as equal, but there's no love because as soon as one treats someone the other, you know, then we, we get into a world of words. And I like what you're saying because I do, that's Paul saying, you know, you've got to love one another yeah. as Christ has loved us. And in that, true equality comes in. Yeah. Because the master, Jesus Christ, is the one that we're all actually pursuing. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, a, it's something that Paul has been mirroring from the husbands and wives. Yeah. He's... He's asking the wife to be humble, and then before you know it, he's asking the husband to be (laughs) humble. And then he's asking the kids to be humble, and then he's asking the parents to be humble. And now he's saying, servants, be humble, and he's saying, masters, be humble. He's he's dismantling this idea that we have power over one another. Yeah. Right? And And he's saying, guys, come on. We are all serving one master. If there's ever a master-slave situation, we are the slaves, and Jesus is the master. And he's an awesome master. Because he's the type of master that says, I no longer call you slaves. You are now my friends. All right, so I think when we take this into our, our work situation the way we, we will, because I'm, I'm, it's, it's natural for us to do that, I would say to you, firstly, when you go to your workplace, don't forget you're not a slave, you are a free agent. However, I think the scripture is clear in that we ought to say is to serve as if the one in front of us was Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the heart there. And if you are a leader in your workplace, I think the one in front of you ought to be served as if they were the Lord. Yeah, for me, I really like the way you're putting it. But I, it's it's like a trust issue. If if you are fighting against the man that you can see and who's in front in charge of you or or the person below you it's like you don't trust that god's in control you understand it's like god is not behind that person or jesus isn't behind that person because in scripture it says all authority was established by the father so is who you're trusting here the man that you see or the man that you don't see and i think that's always and sometimes we 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 short sighted or what's nearsighted we we don't look beyond the man and that's what you're saying you know the true master is in charge is jesus and we don't we look at our situations like 
this Pharaoh in my life is just bringing me sickness and disease and pain, and you know. But we don't see the person that put him there in the first place. Yeah, I think that's a. Uh, it's, it's funny because it's so it's so obvious the way he starts with the husbands and the wives and the children and the and the. He just he's he's ma- he's basically proclaiming the gospel message. Yeah. He's saying the one in front of you ought to be served, and he's asking for the next person to do the same. They will be known by what? Hmm. That you love one another. My disciples will be known because they love one another. Now, regardless of position, regardless of status, regardless of whether you're wealthy or poor, you will be known because you love one another. Right? And he's making it very clear as to how we love one another. We humble ourselves and we serve the next person. Yeah. Amen. I think that's... I think that's his heart here, and I, he, he can't be any more clear. In every, in every situation, there, he's saying the same thing, but it looks a bit different because we have a way of making the situation different. Yeah. But in fact, the situation is the same. Guy, please serve the person in front of you. Please love the person in front of you. And the way in which he says it is as if, if you can't love the person in front of you, then you're failing the Lord. Because... Kids, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, when you obey your parents, you obey the Lord. Husbands, die like Jesus died. Wives, submit like Jesus submitted to the Father. All of this is like, like that in and through and all and without, all of that comes back to, 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 into play now. He's saying, guys, how we treat one another is how we actually feel about God. Yeah, because it comes through. Yeah, we are reflections. Our conduct is that important. And, and I think that's the revelation, is that Jesus does care how you live. He's, as much as he's grateful that you prayed the prayer, and you, it's a start, like, like I said on Sundays, we've got to see that as just a start. He does care how you take your steps. He does care how you treat every single individual and person that comes into your path, because it reflects your heart state. Yeah. Just like Jesus, the way he treated people, reflected his heart state. And that segues us into the next. And I just love the way I, we, we, when we studied, I think when I presented to the Bible study a while ago, how we, we, we saw this in a new light. And I'm, I just want to challenge you today when we see the armor of God, allow us to share a different perspective of what we feel Paul is saying here. So let's start verse 10. I'm going to read 10 to 12. And don't get up your seats, but he says, and that about wraps it up. <laughs> God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget in about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. I just love the way he puts that. You know, God is strong and he wants you strong. Again, he's told us to mature and grow in strength. As, as children, to grow in the faith, grow in our strength, reflecting the Father. Because he was strong and he wants us to endure and be strong. And he says, he's given us, the Father's given us everything we need. And Jesus has demonstrated how we, can, how we are to grow and how we are to win the fight. And like we said earlier, there's a word that I love. It's subversive. Jesus won every fight the way the world, world did not expect. 
They expected a king. He was a king. They expected him riding on a stallion. He came in on a donkey. You know, he was a carpenter. He did everything subversively. It's a dying to live. And that's how the upside down kingdom is resembled and how Paul's telling us to live. In this we shall conquer. It's a cross. Where did it go? There's a moment. Sorry. You know, how many people would think the cross is the way that Jesus was going to win the fight in those days and ages? They expected a political leader to come and overthrow Rome and to reestablish Israel to its political power. But Jesus is like, no, that's the way you win life. And that's what Paul's telling us to do. Let's read from verse 13 to 18. And this is what he tells us how to. He says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Now, this is the key part. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is indispensable, is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in the ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. He says, be prepared. Allow for help. Observe how Christ walked this earth. Look, look at who he was. Now I said, yeah, take these Christeristics, you know, and apply them in our daily lives. <laughs> it's funny, I'm okay, fine. Moving on. You know, I saw the armor of God completely in a new light when I studied it for myself. And I said, yeah, this armor of God is both in the sense that it is from him and that it is his actual armor. Like his personal, like David would wear, okay, he didn't wear armor. It was his personal. So he didn't want to take Saul's armor and go fight Goliath. He had what he had. This was Jesus' personal armor. And and this is, in the Old Testament, it's the Lord who wears the armor. And Isaiah 59, 17, I'll read it for you. It says here, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with the zeal as his cloak. You see, Paul is saying, so let's take the word armor away. So take the characteristics of Christ, what he exemplified. What are they? Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. Take what Christ demonstrated and lived in and learn to apply them in your daily walk. You know, it's not just praying the prayer of the armor of God every morning and you walk out and, you know, I'm walking like this because I've got the armor. (laughs) It's taking what made Christ so powerful and making, so that's when it says transform to the image of Christ. It's taking his characteristics, his nature, what made him him, and allow him to work in our own hearts. And I think that is so much more powerful. You see, Paul practically means that Christians in the church are to form habits proactively using the word and prayer and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Christ. And I just love the way, I love the way he puts it. I think um, I, I was, um, when I read Ephesians, I keep thinking that this sounds familiar like I've read it somewhere else. And it's, it, I, I have read it, but not in the way in which he wrote it in Ephesians. He wrote it in Romans. 
Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 11 uh, to 14, he says this. Besides, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up. Sound, sound familiar? <laughs> to wake up right, from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That, that's powerful, like we, the journey situation right there. We're getting closer and closer to the day in which we see him face to face. Um, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He, he flips it there. It's no longer just the arm of God now. This year is, a, is clearly an attribute. I, I know Paul is not thinking we should grab swords and shields and run out. <laughs> so the fact that he says light here is, is, is powerful. And then he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling, quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he explains what this armor is. Right? He's saying, put on Christ. Somewhere else he doesn't say put on Christ. He says put on salvation, put righteousness, faith. He's, he's kind of condensing all of the attributes and saying, in fact, before I get into this whole long list, just put Jesus on. Right? And reflect him to the world. So when we, when we <laughs> I think it, it preaches good, it does preach good when you like the sword of spirit and it does preach really nice. The imagery. <laughs> yeah, the imagery is really cool. Um, but I think Paul is just saying, put on Christ. This is, we know what he's like. We know his character. Put on his character. Right? And practice. I know a, a, a soldier doesn't just get good by putting the, the stuff on. He practices. And I think the imagery comes alive because he's saying, it's like you've got to see the subversiveness. Mm. And he's saying, don't just now, because it's subversive, think it's not a fight. Yeah. It's going to take every bit of everything you have to resist the enemy. It is going to be like a war. And he's using war terminology because it's like the war of the mind. But he's not restricting it there. Yeah. It's, it's like Siobhan is saying, it's the attributes of Christ. Yeah. I think he's... he's He's just reinforcing what he said before. Guys, I've dealt with your nucleus family. I've dealt with your communal family. Now you're going to have to go out into the world. Right? And in the world, I'm expecting you to act the way you act within your family. I'm expecting you to show the same kind of love, the same kind of kindness, with the same amount of truth. Right? But... It's the same thing. I'm not asking you to be different outside than I am asking you to be inside. And that's what's difficult. I think there's, there's where the, the, the struggle comes because we are very, what's the word, opposite of, of subversive? Apathetic. No, I'm saying like, instead of being uh, sly with it, like, blatant. we blatant. We want to tell you you're in sin and you're broken and you instead of just repent <laughs> you know <laughs> instead of just just uh, loving the person you know instead of just it's the goodness of god that leads yeah. to salvation and so we i think he's is and I, and i think he's saying we dismantle the enemy with righteousness and love and goodness 
and faith. That's how we dismantle this. I think we, we don't dismantle it when we pass a law. We dismantle it when we are so good to we people. We surpass law. Yeah. It's, it, it, it goes beyond uh, a governmental thing. Yeah. It starts to penetrate the hearts of people because we are actually um, fighting something that's not seen. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, that our spiritual fight is just a physical love someone because I think he's very clear that your powers and principalities and, and mm. there's something that's beyond this world that's, that's functioning, that's causing this to happen. But the way we dismantle that is by sticking in, the, in our prayer closet. But when we come out of our prayer closet, we love physically as well. Yeah, I just love the, when he says there, pray hard and long and pray for your brothers and your sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up that no one falls behind or drops out. That's like, again, he's sticking to that warfare, that warfare imagery. He says, no, no man is left on the battlefield. Yeah. You know, don't be so that you got this armor and you're the general and that it doesn't matter how many of your privates die in the battle, that you're okay. He says, no, this, is, we, this battalion must all stand up on their feet at the end of this battle. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost, he's almost speaking all the way back into time and say, Cain, you're wrong. You, we are our brother's keeper. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when, when Saul goes to his final battle, right, in, in Samuel, he goes to his final battle, and usually you would have an armor bearer. Right? But I think Saul is under the impression that we're not going to make it out of this one. So what does Saul do? He says, what is his son's name? Jonathan. Jonathan. Oh, I forgot. My word. Jonathan. He says, Jonathan, I want you to come with me. Why? Why does he do that? Because an armor bearer who is not related to him, who is not his son, when things get hot, they run away. Whereas a son would stick with his father regardless. Because family, I'm not leaving my family behind. There's no way I'm going to do that. Like, either you kill us both, or we're going to survive this one. (laughs) Right? So... I think it's a powerful thing when, when we go to war as a family. I, I think that's I, one of the biggest indictments to, to my Christian walk, I think. I think back and I think, how many people have I left behind? How many people was I impatient with and said, I can't do this anymore? You know, you hear those words, I cut that person loose. They did wait. And it's like, well, where am I supposed to leave them behind? Or they did wait. Like, what, what, what should I do, you know? And I, and I think at times I, in my selfishness, I failed the person in front of me because I was so concerned about going to the next level. Yeah. Like he says, he starts off in the prayer closet, like you have to pray for one another. Yeah. But then he also says, keep your eyes open. And he says, then keep each other's spirits up. In other words, when you're praying for someone, they're on your heart. And then you're more perceptive when you're actually feeling down and they say, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good, how are you? It's like, no, you're not good. Because <laughs> I can see something because I've been praying for you. Mm-hmm. And then it's not, it doesn't stop there that you actually encourage them and build their spirits yeah. back up. And yeah. it is a family, a family analogy and it's intimate. And I just love the way he, he demonstrates this for himself. And he says, in verse 19, and don't forget to pray for me. You know, he says, pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time. Telling the mystery to one and all, the message that I, jailbird preacher that I am, 
am responsible for getting out. And I think this is so important for the family, is that we remember to pray for the leaders mm. because they are not infallible. It's that they need just as much prayer and support as we do, if not more so. And they are human too, and they need wisdom and encouragement. Um, you know, Dad had a message to pastors, a, a message of encouragement, and I was astounded how many needed it. And you see, the key here, Paul is humble enough to ask for it and ask for help. And we should all be, if Paul can ask for prayer, why should we be feeling guilty when we ask someone to pray for me? You're not, we're not meant to do this alone. He says this, ask for help. This is not a solitary battle. And for me, it's just an encouragement. Pray for your brother and your sister and pray for your, your fathers and your mothers because everyone needs prayer here. Yeah. It's like the, the Spartan shields, you know how they wear the, the, the circle shields. Is the, what was the, the Hoppites? I don't know. But they had like a, they all went in a circle and they all covered all the way to the top. And if one person fell, there was a weakness into there and they could get in. So where you were your brother's keeper, where your shield ended, his began. Yeah. And that's how, this is the analogy of we, we're in this together. Yeah. And um, let's read from verse 20, 21 to 24 to finish. He says, Tychicus, my good friend here, will tell you what I'm doing and how things are going with me. He is certainly a dependable servant of the master. I've sent him not only to tell you about us, but to cheer you on in your faith. It gives you a personal testimony too, you know, not just a letter. Verse 23, goodbye friends. Love mixed with faith be yours from God the Father and from the master Jesus Christ. And I love the way it ends up. Pure grace and nothing but grace be with all who love our master, Jesus Christ. And I just think that's a fitting way to end it. So, i open it up to you now. Um, you know, I was speaking to Pastor Ken and he said today, and he's like, you know, well, it's amazing feat to do Ephesians in four weeks. And I said, no, we're not going to the deepest of levels. This, this book you can study for months and still get mm-hmm. things from. The whole Bible, you can do that. It's, this is really rich. And that wasn't our aim. Our aim was to, to share things that stood out for, for us when we studied it and to, to share that with you. But I'm also interested to hear what Ephesians 6 sections that we've done or the book itself is if you have anything you would like to share and how it impacted your your last month then please don't be shy we have a microphone anybody don't have to just is everybody challenged Especially on, on this chapter, because he starts off by saying, children obey your parents, and then he speaks about standing up against the devil. And he speaks about servants and masters and all this type of thing. But if you think back to the beginning when he spoke about we are all one in spirit because there is one spirit. And I think Paul works hard to further break that down now in that whether you're a child or a parent, you, you can't really escape the one and lean completely towards the other. And, and we always say the thing, you, sh- you should always have a Paul in your life and you should always have a Timothy and you should always have a Barnabas in your life. 
In other words, somebody that you are following, somebody that's following you, and somebody that's kind of on your level. Mm. And I think what, what Paul's hope is here maybe is that we should all be looking to father somebody or, or to be that kind of figure where those who are just coming along, we can take them by the hand and say, let's walk it out together. Whether you end up being that person's spiritual father or not, that time will tell and, and the Lord will reveal that. But the important thing here is that he's speaking about the condition of our hearts, obey your parents, um, addressing the fathers, addressing servants and masters, because if you walk with that strife and that anger in your heart and the frustration of relationships, um, who are you to to call on heaven when the enemy attacks. Mm. It's, it's as if heaven will be closed. You're walking with so much in your heart and now you're coming here, you're asking for help. Whereas the instruction was simple, obey your parents and honor mm. them. And don't threaten the people that, that submit to you. And I think he's, he's saying here that your answer to the enemy's attack on your life is just your everyday life, mm. your everyday walk, going about your business, the way you treat your family, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your children. In that, you will gather the strength because, number one, it will teach you patience and you'll also understand the heart of the Father. Mm. Because if you, like Michael always says to me, you, my walk and your walk with Andreas is different in the, way, in the sense that you caught his heart earlier. He didn't have to give you a list of do's and don'ts. Didn't you catch the heart of the Father and that's why you're blessed. And, and that's true if, if, if you have a spiritual father or somebody that you submit to. The relationship is not one where the Father says, do this, now don't do that. Now do, there's maybe space for that and things that he needs to correct. But it's not for you to run to him every five minutes, so what do I do now? So I've done that to go back and what do I do now? If you catch his heart, then you will know exactly what to do. Mm. In the same way, that's what God expects of mature believers, the mature sons. Like if, if, you, if I think of it, I grew up in a house, fortunate enough to have a father who cared for us, who guided us, who protected us, who invested so much in us that when it came to like the end of the school career, it wasn't a matter of are you going to study or you should go and study? All he wanted to know is what are you going to study? So, meaning that he had anticipated by means of his investment into us that we now know what the right thing is to do. Hmm. We know that we need to take whatever is deposited in us and we need to, to walk this road. And I think what Paul is saying is that God expects the same of us as believers. So the, the things that we give so much time to every day are we walking out this journey in such a way that when difficult times come or when you need to make decisions that you've taken what the Lord has done for you, that your relationships testify to the type of person you are and that when the enemy attacks, you know, you are in a position where you, you have the Father's heart knowing, first of all, that the battle is won and that he won't leave you here. This is not the moment for you to be forsaken. So, yeah, it's... It's a difficult one to read this last chapter because he opens up with obey your parents mm. and then stuff about standing up against the devil and all this kind of thing. But what he's really is communicating is just 
the condition of your heart really matters in these things. Yeah, that's a powerful way to put it. Yeah, I think you, you hit something there when you said walking with strife and walking with unforgiveness. And I think so many times we've thought that that's a door to the enemy. No, that's the enemy. You know, we, He's already there. <laughs> yeah, no. As soon as you, 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 you give into that, you, it's not that he will then breach. He's breached. Yeah, so that's his attack. His attack is... It's landed. Let's quarrel. Let's, let's argue with one another. Let's, let's not like one another. Yeah, like, you know? He starts like, you've been hurt. You, know, like, <laughs> you have a valid reason why you've yeah. been hurt. That's, that's how he works. That's, so. that's the attack. The attack is, if he can cause us to not be united, he's won. Right? And so that's, I think that's what the army is, the, yeah. our heart is saying, we, we shouldn't have, there's no reason for us to be offended with one another. Yeah, and I think, I think that's why John Bavier refers to it as the bite of Satan. Yeah. Mm. But it's more the moment you get offended and you decide the bite of to Satan. stay offended. What you are really doing is the polar opposite of what our faith is about, and yeah. that we are a forgiven people. Yeah. But being offended means that you are putting up your hand and you are saying, yeah. I refuse to forgive. Yeah. Yeah, it's like We're supposed to quench the fiery dart, yeah. not expose our hearts to it. Yeah, it's like the bite right? of Satan and the poison is in. Yeah. It's like that offense is when the poison is working its way through the body already. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Listen, yeah, I don't, no, and easy. I think... We cannot underplay this. I mean, if Paul himself said it's a, for li- a battle to life and death, yeah. he means it. I mean, this is a man who's walked it, and this is why it's so powerful. He is a father, and he's walked this journey, and, and, and he is walking this journey. He's in prison writing this letter to, to his children. Um, so, I mean, if he's, I can see himself talking to himself when talking about slaves. He was a prisoner. He was at the lowest level. So I'm sure, you know, they, you were telling me about they couldn't leave the guards around him for too long. Was yeah, it? they refused. The Romans, the Romans wouldn't leave any, anyone around him for too long because they get saved. So this is a man who <laughs> laughed on everybody, right? <laughs> like, they, would, they would refuse. They're like, guy, like, they would allow his people. Like, that's why the guy's allowed into his cell. To we, write the letter. <laughs> yeah, someone's allowed in the cell, but it's his, it's his guy. Anyone that wasn't, because the Romans started getting worried that if, if people get saved at this rate, so they would sw- switch every two hours. If you, left, if you left someone there for more than two hours, most likely he's coming out born again. So, yeah, so it's a man who's living and walking it. Anyway, is there no one else? Okay. It's not about the week, it's just about the last chapter. And it literally just occurred to me. It's just the way it's structured. I think in society and the general feeling out there is always like if that person does xyz then i will respect them or then i will do mm-hmm. whatever but if you read the chapter it actually always starts with the underlings heart hmm. like children obey your parents and then it obviously deals with the parents as well to say like you need to do this but it doesn't start with parents do this then children do this hmm. which you could read as well if my parent does this then i'm going to do this hmm. It actually starts with you first and your heart as opposed to what's the other person doing and there I will respond in terms of what they've done. So yeah, that's, that's often yeah, what we do. Is especially in today's generation. Yeah, especially in our workplace, yeah. in our own relationships. There's multiple situations where we're like, well, that person's it's done like that. God, so. you don't understand. He cheated me like this. 
It's like, no, I do understand. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Thanks, Nick. Getting fit. Um, what I find interesting, I think, um, it's there was the portion of scripture that was talking about the servant and how you should be doing what it is you're doing. And I, the, the, the verse that kept popping in my mind is, whatever you are doing, do it as unto the Lord. And that's in Colossians 3.23. Mm-hmm. And in the New uh, King James Version, it says, um, how a household should be a godly household. And it talks about um, husbands and wives. It talks about children and about uh, servants. And I think when you, what, what fascinates me is, if we are in the service of the Lord, we are bond servants to Jesus Christ, and He's our master. So whatever it is that you're doing, um, so I just took that from for me because I understand the master servant or bond servant. When you Jesus became, He took for our redemption, and therefore we are His bond servants. Yep. And also, when you go out into the world and the continuation and the love and the characteristics of Christ, if he has instructed us to continue his work, that means that besides using the armor as a protective measure, we are also to put those characteristics on in order to win over our brothers and sisters. So the fighting in your prayer closet, because you can't go out and preach to others and to pray and to um, take their concerns and understand if you haven't sorted yourself out. Yeah. And, and for me, the whole issue about fathers and children, you know, sometimes people would take the first portion and they will use it to justify their behavior yeah. um, as to why they can be cruel and inhumane towards their children, um, forgetting that there's a dual responsibility also so um, I think it's, a, for me, the last chapter has got a lot in it. Yeah. I think that I like the way you described the armor and what the purpose in the whole putting on of Christ and the nature of Christ. Um, and it's so true. We are plagued with principalities and um, with, <laughs> with um, you know, this... We, we are not of the world, but we live in the world, and we are bombarded with all kinds of spiritual attacks. But if we have the, if we put on Christ and his character, we are able to withstand. And um, I think there's power in that, that, that when you have that character, yeah. you, okay, it's not like bring it on. It's like, <laughs> okay, I see it for what it is. I, I identify where that's coming from, and I know how to deal with that. Yeah. And um, also the issue of the bond. I, I understand that in terms of the roles that we play uh, in the workplace. You are basically a servant in the, in, the, in the workplace because you sign away your time and your energy mm. and your effort to a, a master <laughs> for a salary at the end of the day. I, I mean, servants didn't get... I mean, Slaves didn't get a salary, but they were working to freedom. Some people are stuck in the job and they end because they're hoping to retire. But, you know, it's the same. It, it, it becomes that. But I think when you take that, whatever it is that you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. Yeah. They, you bring joy. You bring love because you know that even though you're toiling, it's difficult. You're able to overcome. Yeah. yeah. Amen.
Yeah, I think that what Nicholas here was true and what you were saying was true as well. I'm not responsible for someone else's behavior. I'm only responsible for mine. So whether you're master or slave, whether you're father or child, whether you're husband or wife, you're only responsible for yours. Like your behavior is what counts to you and to the Lord. And theirs to them and the Lord. That's the way it works. Um, I, I, I'm a child and I know. Don't provoke me. Thank <laughs> you, Karen. No, there's just one word that kept coming to mind throughout this chapter, and that's meekness. We know that meekness is strength under control, but mm. it's also an attribute of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when we've been in the prayer closet and we put on Christ, mm. that is when we can be meek, humble, submissive. Mm-hmm. And I think that is how we, we share Christ's love. I think what's powerful is that Paul takes those attributes which we would consider in our world, today's world, would consider that as, as weakness. And he makes that armor. So he, he flips it upside down. It's like, when you do these things, in fact, you're winning. It might not feel like it at the time. It might not seem like it to them, but you're winning. Yeah. Amen. If someone's outside, and I don't want anyone to lift the drive away. So we will call it a night. Does Guys. anyone want to close in prayer? Otherwise I can. All right. Thanks, Craig. Microphone is over there. One more time. Last time. <laughs> Father, we thank you tonight for this opportunity to be in your presence, O oh Lord and to be in each other's presence, Father God. Mm. I thank you for this last few weeks that we've been through, Father God, to, to come and sit at your feet, O oh Lord, and just allow your spirit to minister to us each in our own special way, Father God, that you've met us at our point of need, that you've opened up new things for us to think about, for us to take into consideration and to apply to our daily walk. And so, Father God, as we've been challenged and as we've learned new things, O oh Lord, we pray, Father God, that by your grace that you give us the strength to truly walk in this word, Father God, in the wisdom of your word and also in the boundaries that you've set for us here tonight, Father God. We pray, Father, that you give us a special alertness to the condition of our hearts, Father God. And whenever the the enemy threatens with unforgiveness and with strife and with anger, Father God, that that we consider, O Lord, your words tonight, Father God. That we consider, Father God, that you love us and you call us, Father God, to a life of love to you and to each other. And so we pray tonight, Father God, for your blessing over each person tonight. I thank you that you've brought us here and that you'll take us home safely. We know that you never leave us and that you never forsake us. And so we commit each person here to you tonight, Father God, and we know that your grace will be sufficient for us for the new day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.